welcome to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and I'm solo this week as Adam is out of office, and I am jealous of that. But the show must go on. So this week we're speaking with Sean Chen, a partner over at Consensus Mesh, all about the Ethereum blockchain. This is the technology that is really underlying the recent NFT boom. So we brought him on as an expert in the space to really dive deep into the Ethereum blockchain, how we see this technology developing, and what additional consumer use cases uh, we see potentially coming over the next couple of years. So I'm excited to be talking with Sean later on in this week's episode. But before that, as a reminder, the Floor 9 referral program is still live. You can go to refer.fm forward slash Floor 9 to get your own custom referral link. Share that with your friends, family, mom, dad, anybody that you talk to NFTs about. And three referrals get you a limited edition Floor 9 t-shirt. So share it with your friends, your family, anybody that you've mentioned NFTs before. Um, We really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing the love of Floor 9. So with that out of the way... I want to jump right into our conversation with Sean. So, Sean, welcome to Floor 9. Thanks for having me. Just to kick this section off, can you give us a little background on yourself uh, and what you do over at Consensus Mesh? Absolutely. My origins, actually, I was born and bred in the advertising marketing and, and kind of uh, strategy realm. So I, one of us, so, one of yeah, us. <laughs> yeah. So I, I started at a, an old shop called Razorfish and did mm. performance marketing there when Yahoo was still on top. I know it's kind of, that's definitely uh, dating myself. <laughs> and then uh, went over to uh, work for Chad, who is on this call right now uh, over at BBDO <laughs> to help establish a, a digital strategy department. So helping, you know, 24 sets of ECDs with big, big egos uh, figure out the internet (laughs) was always fun. Um, Explaining news feeds and uh, what it meant to work with a startup that had like three people in their house. Um, And then after that, I I took a dive into, uh, basically went from digital to creative to a, a social shop called Vayner. And then, uh, yeah, went to join the venture side for Gary uh, Vayner RSC and focused a lot on frontier tech. Uh, and then I decided to go even deeper down the rabbit hole and went to Consensus. And so now I'm a, I'm a partner there uh, working across portfolio management, whereby which we've got 114 investments, a uh, couple dozen token positions and run three different programs. We've got uh, early stage investment. We've got an accelerator called Tachyon uh, that works with Filecoin, a decentralized storage solution in IPFS, as well as uh, an incubator where we work really closely with founders on launching something from uh, the ground up. So that's where, where I'm at today. Fantastic. You, I mean, from news feeds to the, I mean, to, to the blockchain, you have been at the forefront of technology and how it's going to be impacting, um, you know, consumer attention and even even brands. So that's fantastic, and we're super excited to have you on this episode. Let's start with the Ethereum blockchain because this seems to be a place where your uh, firm has investments in. What is making Ethereum special, and why was it suited for NFTs uh, to kind of be like that foundational infrastructure? Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, Ethereum basically started to really had both the innovation of smart contracts and this kind of generalized solution, generalized protocol that allowed for many people to bring their own ideas, bring their own creativity, 
And uh, it was basically a big game of crowdsourcing. And for Ethereum, um, they do that all the time. So people are constantly improving upon it as a software program, as a protocol, and submitting improvement proposals. And some of those improvement proposals and, and little letters in the suggestion box have actually become features, such as, it would be great to create my own token. You're like, we've got something for that. That's called an ERC-20 token. And the same thing happened in terms of NFTs, so non-fungible tokens. It's just another flavor of token. So uh, many people started thinking about adding different parameters like amortization or time locks or um, supply constraints or adding, I guess, more standard legal um, legalese into the contracts themselves. So it wasn't just like software. And then we have like meat space and real world that people really started to, to blend the two together and say, hey, what happens uh, when we start to combine these things and automate everything from, from the beginning to the end? So Ethereum is used in, in a lot of different ways right now. Um, and you, you see a ton of different communities gravitating around it to create brand new use cases. And and right now, the, the hot one, obviously, is NFTs. That's like a fantastic this background on the Ethereum blockchain and what it's good for. And as you mentioned, NFTs are just white hot in the market today. So the one thing I wanted to quickly talk about is like, what does a person own? For NFTs, uh, what you own, I think right now, each of these blockchains right now is figuring out their standards. So just like we might be thinking about JPEGs or GIFs or um, you know, VHS, you know, the standards around each of these NFT types right now is being fought over. So from an audio-based side, like there's there's going to be each the NFTs for each medium. So for an audio, let's double click into there, right? They they use for artists, right? You're you're effectively using a cluster-based sample, retroactive, like lagging indicator of like CSEC, BMI, or ASCAP, right? And you get thousands, hopefully millions of streams. And then you get paid based upon a centralized organization saying like, hey, trust us, artists. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we counted up your streams and here is your shiny $100. And you're like, wait a second, I, I can't even verify that. And so um, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things to start to think about in terms of what do you own, right? Because it's not just the visual NFTs, right? Of how do you police it? How do you make sure that someone gets paid for it in perpetuity if it changes hands? for resale. But I do think that as we talk about video-based or audio-based NFTs or even typography or asset packs, um, I think that each and every creator tool, whether it's Unity or Epic or thinking about um, you know, so, some of the Adobe, like all the various Adobe suite tools, like min minters or people being able to mint something on a blockchain will be built in natively. Yeah, I think we're really excited about that idea of in the future, the minting being part of the sort of creation process natively, and then the that technology enabling the sort of cross-platform transfer of digital goods, which we think is going to be, is not really here yet today, but is going to be a huge foundational block of, uh, of, of digital goods in the future. But, um, but Sean, I, I do have a, another question. So gaming is obviously very big, right? We we know we know what it means in terms of just like the amount of revenue that gets generated from it. And a lot of those sales are tend to be all digital sales or mostly digital sales, other than hardware and stuff like that. And the trend continues to go in that direction. 
However, in the past 12 months, we have seen like the closure of one of the first, you know, console-based game stores shut down, which was like the Nintendo, I think Nintendo has shut down the sales of 3DS games, okay? Which was just one era of Nintendo. But PlayStation, I believe, has announced, I, I don't know if you guys saw that news, Adam, but I think like a PlayStation 3 store is going to be sunsetted as well as the Vita store and the PSP store. Now, if you own these games, they're kind of gone if those servers go down. So is there some sort of solution? Like, because you, you don't have to go very far to start thinking about the amount of money that people have spent in whether they still have their iTunes songs or they still have their Kindle books. They have all of these things which are controlled by a centralized store. Uh, so like, is there, is there anything or any kind of movement that is happening that you're seeing of ways to take digital assets that don't necessarily have to be unique. These could be very fungible assets, but that there is some record for ownership and the, the ability to have perpetual use. Yes. Um, that's a great question. I mean, there are a number, I, this is why I'm so excited about what's happening with open source and the open source community, as well as crypto and blockchain, because many of them have dedicated their lives to contributing to repos. I mean, the, the a huge amount of the largest, um, I've, actually the majority of all of the most highly utilized repos that are open source actually are maintained by one or two people, which is kind of mind boggling. But you have organizations like the Internet Archive. Um, and I also think that that are actually cataloging all varieties of media. And I do think that gaming and gaming elements that start to be published under the right license is it, you know, is it fair use like MIT license? Like, I do think that people will start to realize that, um, you know, in a web three world where you're publishing by default, oftentimes in open source where anyone can copy paste, that's a, a little bit of a foreign concept, right? Because in web two, you're, you're kind of taking a centralized approach. You're saying, Hey, I own these games. I should get credit for these games. Um, but as we move from just programs that are centralized into a open protocols or open world it's kind of like taking any one of these open world uh, console games and saying anyone can kind of attach it and it starts to have a life of its own and so i think the metaverse is definitely going to be a thing i'm very excited about having maybe some of the things that we see published on the internet archive or maybe some of these games if they do get published as fair use or or, or open source for them to be lent out uh, or even rented or uh, forked um, or copy pasted and, and, and adjusted and then published um, maybe one day into one of these worlds like Somnium or uh, Decentraland or Sandbox, um, whereby which they can have a life of their own, maybe in perpetuity. I think a lot of that will, will change over time. How do we get from where we are today to this future state? Because the, the, the barriers that I'm seeing is that um, if to take the, the, the PlayStation example that, that Chad mentioned uh, or Kindle books, like it, I'm not picking on Sony specifically, um, but how do you, you know, those, those platforms, those platform owners really want to maintain that level of control. And I think there is a little bit of an inherent tension in at least the way that we have been purchasing and consuming digital goods up until now and where we want sort of purchase and consumption of digital goods to be in the future. And like, I, I, at least for me, um, I, I see, you know, that future very clearly. I just think, I think there's just, 
the steps to getting there are, are less clear. Um, and specifically around things like business models. Like it's great to say, we want everybody to sort of be co-creators with our content, but we know from experience that that has been very, very difficult to get the um, you know, professional tier. It's great when you're a single Kindle author, you can sort of you know, do that. When you're talking about a you know, AAA game or a AAA movie, uh, for example, uh, they're not even open to you know, sort of remixing that content on TikTok. So how do, we, how do we get them from where they are today to you know, the future? Yeah, it's going to take a monumental shift in how value is created and I think the traditional lines of how, how a business is, is born. And so in web three, I think those consistent business models is, is very top of mind for a lot of companies. And so in a web three world, what I think is fascinating and what we're, what we're seeing happen over the last year is that in doing some of these token drops, uh, they essentially these, a lot of these new protocols are launching with a token launch. Um, and then as people get tokens, you automatically have aligned, not just tens of thousands of people, but you might be able to, depending upon how many wallet addresses that you're able to get uh, get out there, a lot of protocols to actually incentivize people to want to care about uh, a particular program, right? So that is an axie that you know Facebook or Google or any fan company has a really hard time competing on, right? Because you're essentially saying, while well, you're giving away that value, but um, now you're hard coding, coding in some of the monetary policy around, well, does it depreciate if you don't engage? Uh, is there, you know, what is the total amount of tokens? Um, do you get more tokens for contributing more thoughts and ideas? And that's where it gets really interesting. Right now we, we publish photos on Instagram or we, we consume and provide impressions off of a newsfeed. But what if you got incentivized for the value that you brought? Um, for every single click, every single share, every single, and that's the, some companies like Brave Browser and the Bat Token are trying to do that, right? Like Brave has 30 million monthly active users. It's the most popular DAP by far, but people want to be incentivized for their everyday behaviors. And I do think that uh, it's not necessarily going to be uh, revolutionary, but maybe evolutionary, where we see people starting to see these these everyday behaviors trans, uh, transform into actually being rewarded and sharing uh, in your influence of the system. So, that, so okay, so that's my, kind of my question because I'm sitting here listening. It seems like it's a lot more work for the consumer. Yes. I think what's cool about crypto and blockchain is that you're going to be able to start to delegate some of that influence and see some of that automation play out. I think we'll start to see the glimpses or early glimpses of, uh, of, uh, concepts like autonomous agents. So you could have a Chad bot and Chad represents uh, uh, himself. And on behalf of all of the New York Mets uh, fantasy fantasy leagues as commissioner, <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> sorry. Um, but his bot essentially could stand for, you know, what type of trades and ingest all his historical data. So some of the automation will extend some based of, based upon his own personal values and interests. But I also think that, you know, the options will ultimately be in the consumer's hands where you can dial up your involvement or dial down. I think you'll have choice and it won't necessarily be uh, pigeonholed into, into one place is, is what I think. Can you talk to us quickly about DAOs and the decentralized autonomous organizations? So DAOs are 
called Decentralized Autonomous Organization. So it's basically using software as a way to coordinate um, a group's decision-making around, right now, a lot of it's around investment. You have DAOs like Flamingo DAO that are pooling millions of dollars together as top collectors of crypto punks and um, uh, Beeple and, and uh, Pac and, and these top artists, and then buying these assets or even commissioning assets uh, into central land or buildings or um, Somnium space. And uh, that group essentially makes voting decisions the same way that you might run a poll in Discord. And so these DAOs it might, might invest not just in NFTs like a Flamingo, but maybe you have a DAO like whale.me. Whale um, they're, they're like thousands of people are in that, that DAO. It's, they organize as a DAO, but they collect art. And they also have a DAO that helps to make decisions on what they might actually work on next or what type of art that they want to go after next or what tooling that want, they want to make. Um, yeah. Is it all like an investment base? The majority of it right now. So to your question, there are people that are saying, you know what, should it just be investment focused? There's so many other cool things that, that I, I do with my friends that could be around. A DAO could be used for almost anything in terms of helping to coordinate a group and using a token as a way by which to incentivize those the right types of behaviors. So a no-code solution for setting up your own DAO is called DAO House, H-A-U-S. Uh, and you essentially have all these uh, elements of what you might be asked as parameters of a creator of, of a DAO. And then you, you then can recruit your friends or your colleagues. Maybe it's only coaches or only players or only musicians. Um, but then you start to essentially say, this is what we exist for and this is what we're going to do. We're going to buy um, collectibles in all of our, our, our self-branded assets. Um, but I do think that we're also going to see a world whereby which social coordination and social tokens really takes over. So Friends with Benefits is a fascinating experiment that everyone should check out. FWB um, uh, was minted out of Roll, uh, another social token platform. And they're going to be doing online to offline engagements. They're going to be using NFTs to actually gate access to exclusive channels within discords. They're going to have artists and musicians to say, hey, if you've got FWBs, they're going to be going with seasons, just like Fortnite. And each new season, they're going to launch with a whole suite of new and interesting products and maybe brands, maybe other, maybe other folks that actually say, hey, we want to connect with this community. We want to use FWB as a way by which to, to, uh, coordinate thousands of people to the next Burning Man or to Bonnaroo. Um, but that's the level of coordination that I think we're going to see where, where people say, hey, these social networks are starting to engage with the world in a way that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. It, it just reminds me of like Imager and Reddit and like their upvote and downvote system and their flair, but it's just kind of like a, a decentralized revolution on that. Um, going going forward, uh, I, well, that's super interesting. Uh, definitely more to come in that department. Well, Sean, I know we're about out of time here. Uh, so, Chad or Adam, any last questions for Sean before we have to uh, close out the show? Um, I was just going to say what what is we you know NFTs were a great big consumer moment uh, for for blockchain technologies. What is the next sort of consumer thing that you think people are going to get excited about? Uh, in, in blockchain? Yeah, I think um, the generalized term right now is social tokens, but you know some of these communities that I mentioned, but I also think personal tokens will be really big. And that's tokens that are related to just a specific artist. 
musicians are probably like an easy analog to think about. So a Taylor Swift coin, a Ed Sheeran coin, um, or even a Tony Hawk coin. And use, these are kind of like fan club 2.0, where by which a token can incentivize the right types of behaviors that might bring them back uh, to, to all of the touch points and engagements that you might want them to have um, being a part of their, their community. And so community tokens, social tokens, um, I think are going to be huge in the back half of this year. And it will not sit nicely in a separate little bucket. It's going to be merged and blended directly into NFTs and how those NFTs are, are used um, in the communities themselves. So it's not just gonna be you know, dumb NFTs without any sort of utility, it's gonna be ones that really start to uh, enhance a, a holder's life and experience um, and really brings brings a people group together around a, a specific purpose or cause. Great, I, have a, I just have a, an add-on on that, Sean. So in, this, in a situation like that, like, do you think that there's going to be a single movement or a platform or a brand that is going to provide people with the capability to do this? Or do you see a lot of siloed based efforts in this? Like, so for instance, like for the past two weeks, we've seen all this BitCloud stuff all over the place. Is BitCloud, is that, is that their end game and something, and something along those lines? I think there's gonna be multiple platforms. So ones I would check out are like Rally and Roll. Um, and as people, people start to think about how how to actually incorporate or how to use uh, the tokens in a way that is authentic to who they are. That's that's going to be the thing that I really think separates um, the best use cases and the ones that are more speculative. Um, I really do think that we, we're going to see a world where people get um, not just pigeonholed into doing things that they, they might have historically seen, um, but yeah. Okay, and one last question, Sean. Knowing that, uh... You know, we've done our time together in the trenches and you've spent an enormous amount of time just working with brands in, in the digital space as the space has evolved. Knowing that you're no longer spending your day-to-day -day working with brands, now that, yeah. you know, now that you're removed and you see this kind of new world ahead of you and so much that you've invested the last few years of your life into it, what advice do you have for brands in this space? Yeah, I think a lot of it is going to be around showing up authentically. And obviously that's like with almost any new social channel. Come on, Sean. That's like <laughs> that's like a cop. Come out. On, Sean, I think that was that was <laughs> page three of some material we had at BBO in like two thousand nine. <laughs> I know. Um, but what I really mean in terms of like authenticity in this space though is I really do think people need to pay homage to the folks that have built some of the original tools because there are people that were launching and building these tools in in obscurity. Um, and I, I think a lot of them that are thinking about uh, some of these technical elements like bonding curves and, and how you actually participate in a way that gives back to the community, that sort of startup give back, give first is is the best way, I think, to actually make sure that there isn't some sort of uh, just flash in the pan moment. And so brands that show up in a way that um, understands people and understands like some of these concepts around self-sovereignty, giving away your data, but also allowing for people to have at least the option to do it. I think that's why I love companies like Brave because Brave is, is actually starting to say, hey, you don't necessarily have to uh, automatically be monetized, but if you build an experience in this space, um, that is true to us and true to giving away some of the platforms, respecting users as possible owners 
is a like a huge paradigm shift. Digitally native experiences like that, I'm most excited for because they can go anywhere. Whereas I think some of the ones that are just drawing like a web two analog, so rare is amazing. Um, and they've built a fantasy element into their card collecting um, trading, trading experience. So it's not just like NBA Top Shot where you can buy an experience, they've built in fantasy. So if you own LeBron or Steph or you know KD, um, it actually matters in, in your weekly kind of rankings and, and weekly scorings. And I, and I do think that in the physical world or like just the traditional world where teams like the Sacramento Kings, the Green Bay Packers, um, and even, even um, uh, I think Arsenal um, are actually selling fractional shares of, of the ownership of, of their teams. And I think that's going to start mm -hmm. to blend as well. People, people actually not just selling off you know, uh, uh, suites and boxes like the Oakland A's, um, but you're actually starting to see a world where that digital element, it, it enhances your fandom um, and then creates entirely brand new experiences that may be like fantasy, but it also might, might actually take you into a, an entirely new medium. Um, yeah, so a lot of that stuff, mm -hmm. I, I'm so excited for the space to really attract even the best and brightest Web2 founders that may have, um, you know, been delayed in entering into this space. But this is the year that we're starting to see the tooling that is as easy to use as AWS or Shopify or an API or an SDK. It's taken, you know, 13 years for Bitcoin, seven years for Ethereum. But uh, it's now finally at a, at a level where people are starting to combine these things on their week nights and weekends. And uh, the back half of the year is going to be incredible for some of these some of these digitally native experiences for sure. Mm. Absolutely. Well, Sean, thank you so much uh, for joining us this week on on Floor Nine. Uh, how can our listeners get in contact with you uh, on the internet? What's what's yeah, the, best the best spot? place? Is probably Twitter. I mean, Shachang S H A C H E N G. Um, yeah, slide into the DMs and, you know, just to say, <laughs> hey, I, I love talking to folks and asking, having public conversations about what's going on. I know there are a lot of different topics we didn't touch on today, like, um, is the climate thing a real thing? Um, you know, what tokens mm -hmm. should I be buying? You know, what tools, if I wanted to launch a DAO, should, should I use? Um, <laughs> so there's so, like, crypto Twitter is a amazing and fascinating, like, matrix-like place um and there's lots of people just giving away free alpha on there there's a lot of a lot of snake oil salesmen but there's also a lot of great <laughs> and smart people just giving away like really solid and amazing advice well, that's fascinating well uh sean thank you so much uh for joining us this week on floor nine uh it was a fantastic conversation uh and so just Absolutely. thank you so it was much my pleasure great to talk to you all